Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why does virtually every culture in the world talk about a race or races of miniature humans? Do fairies actually exist? Are they some kind of nature spirits or an actual hidden race of intelligent beings? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 336th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And I'm Ben, and those mind-blowing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So we've decided to introduce our guest before we get to our contest question, because we'd uh, like to get her opinion on last week's question and answer. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal, with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She has worked full-time in the paranormal realm since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting, and teaching. Her current work focuses, uh, focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, something that's right up our street, uh, technological and mediumistic spirit communications, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings and portals, or areas of intense paranormal activity. She has done groundbreaking research on the shadow people and the djinn, D-G-I-N-N. Rosemary heads her own multimedia company, Visionary Living Incorporated, through which she does some publishing. She also has a radio show of her own, Strange Dimensions. <clears throat> she is a regular on many other radio and television shows and has been featured in many documentaries, and she's, of course, been with us several times before. Her websites include VisionaryLiving.com and JinUniverse.com. Again, D-J-I-N-N, Universe.com. Uh, callers are welcome at any time. People sometimes forget that because we get yakking so fast on the show here. Our phone numbers this evening locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240. All right, Rosemary, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, great to be back with both of you, Ben and Paul, and uh, talking about one of my favorite subjects, fairies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're an expert in just about everything, so... <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> okay. It's hard for me to pick favorites sometimes. No, exactly. Well, let's um, do our question first here, uh, and because and, uh, we kind of wanted to get you in on that. Uh, Lyle Pettit of Wil- Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, got the the question right from last week. Uh, oh, but I'm sorry. I didn't even give a chance to, uh, to Ben to read it. Yeah, so. he just ran right past I'm it. Talking and like so, Yoda tonight. Go ahead. Exactly. So say everything backwards. All right. So, contest now for the week, or last week, since we are good. But no, uh, now for the contest from last week. And last week's question was, in what town and state would you find the ghost of Resurrection Mary? All right, let's start again. Lyle Pettit of Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, got that one right. The town was Justice, Illinois, a few miles southwest of Chicago. Now, supposedly, you can drive along Archer Avenue in that town late at night and see a woebegone young girl in a white gown on the side of the road. Uh, you may offer her a ride. She accepts, gets in the back seat. You pass a cemetery, and the girl either disappears or asks to get out, uh, running off into the cemetery never to be seen again, at least by you. Now, this is a classic urban legend in my book because it turns up in variations all over the place, but people testified that it has happened. All right, so Rosemary, uh, what say you about this? I think it's one of the strongest phantom hitchhiker stories we have. 
And yes, you can certainly say that there's some urban legend in it because uh, that there is that motif of the phantom hitchhiker that uh, permeates our society as well as a lot of others. But a lot of times real ghost stories grow like topsy on their own and take on uh, fictional elements that they can't be tacked down and the real becomes submerged in urban legend. I think that's what happened to the Resurrection Mary story. There do seem to be some factual elements that uh, indicate that there's some basis in fact to the ghost haunting. Some years ago I was in Chicago and Dale Kazmarek, who founded and runs the Ghost Research Society in Oak Lawn there, uh, took me along the Resurrection Mary route and also to the cemetery where she often disappears. Hmm. She will frequently ask her um, her drivers to go by the cemetery and she vanishes uh, when, when they hit the gates there. And Dale showed me uh, some unusual markings on the, uh, the gate that uh, looked like they had been bent in some sort of supernatural or mysterious ways. Uh, you know, who knows about that, but it adds to the legend. Uh, however, no real Resurrection Mary has ever been uh, verified beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, there was a, a young girl who was um, hit uh, by an automobile and died tragically at about the time that the legend is pinpointed. Um, but a lot of other elements in the story don't add up quite to her. So, uh, you know, who knows if uh, something like that started with a, a tragic death and a ghost story evolved. But the fact is, people do have these Resurrection Mary experiences. And uh, I've, I've often wondered about uh, how these things sort of become, um, you know, the, the fictional elements that grow up around these things, they, they start becoming real to people, and people then have experiences that validate uh, the legend. And uh, are we tapping into something? Do we do we sort of co-create these ourselves and then uh, tap into the experience? Uh, that may very well be the case. Yeah. Well, you know our opinion. I'm sure that uh, every anything in from the viewpoint of quantum mechanics, anything that can possibly exist does exist in the multiverse, and we our, our life spreads out across that. So we contact these things, and whether they're real, quote unquote, in our environment or not, they're real somewhere or someone else, and bingo. You make a connection, so that, that's one interpretation anyway. Absolutely. They, they, they acquire their own reality. So uh, in these shifty areas between dimensions, we have experiences that are very real. And I, I think it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to try and evaluate them according to criteria we have established in our reality for proving events and, and the existence of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go to uh, this week's question. In what year did Brazilian troops observe and catalog UFO sightings near that country's western border with Bolivia? So if you can nail that one, win a free copy of Encyclopedia of Angels by tonight's guest. Okay. Uh, it's funny, in the, in the seminary, uh, I, I got a copy of the book, and I wondered if it wasn't that your book, but it was someone else. It was the Dictionary of Angels, not the Encyclopedia. Oh, yes, I'm familiar with that work. Yeah, that was, uh, in, believe it or not, was was in the uh, bookstore at St. Vladimir's Seminary in, in uh, New York City when I was a student there. But uh, anyway, these uh, people are always interested in angels. Anyway, let me give our phone numbers again uh, this evening, locally or from Canada or pretty much anywhere else, I guess, 401-766-1240. 
in the USA, 800-449-1240. Or if nobody answers the question during the show, you can write to us during the week at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com. All right, whatever the subject of little people, fairies, leprechauns, oompa loompas, whatever comes up on the show, it generates a great deal of excitement because surprising numbers of people claim to have encountered these beings. Rosemary, where do these legends come from? I think they come from real experience. Fairies are a hidden race. I think um, they pre-existed human beings, and uh, they have had encounters with humans all over the planet. Uh, just about every mythology since ancient times has some sort of story about uh, little people. And some of them are connected to nature. Some of them are more uh, like lost races that sort of fade off into uh, remote areas and then on into other dimensions. Uh, I do believe that they exist and that they have been interacting with us. And uh, some of them are not kindly disposed toward us and some of them are neutral and and some of them try to be helpful. I remember a doctor writing to us from, uh, well, do you remember it was L.A. or Chicago, Ben? I, don't know. I think it was L.A. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, and, and it took him around, he danced around the subject for a while because he didn't want to say it. And then he said he, something was following him. And he would, you know, because he would walk to work. He lived close enough to the hospital where he was on staff. He turned around and see the thing we'd po- poking his head around, bushes looking at him and trees. He said, am I going nuts or what? And uh, it's, just, it's amazing who who um, who encounters these things, and they aren't always little, are they? No, they can be quite big, and uh, we find this also in the Celtic lore that we draw a lot of our beliefs from uh, here in this country. That uh, some of them can even be taller than us. Some of them are quite beautiful. Some of them are ugly. You know, the wizened little troll-like figures. Some of them seem to be more supernatural, almost demonic in appearance, and hmm. others seem to have the half-human-like, uh, half-animal characteristics to them. So they literally come in all shapes and sizes. A little Tinkerbell with the wings, that's more an artistic imagination than what people have really experienced. Well, I'm thinking, too, of the in fact, last week's question, uh, the question before last, had to do with uh, the lordly ones. And um, a lot of people tried to answer, but they didn't get it. Uh, someone finally did, and it was a matter of, um, you know, uh, not being able to think of these as anything other than the, the little things with wings. Because the, the lordly ones sort of implies something kind of special. What, what, what say you about the lordly ones? Well, it definitely fits with a Celtic lore. Uh, a, the Celtic folklore about fairies is very strong. And fairy lore varies in strength and detail around the world, but the Celtic lore is quite detailed and very embedded in, uh, in culture that was uh, imported into this country. And the fairies had many names. In fact, um, as recently as the turn of the 20th century, people who lived in the rural areas uh, would tell you, as um, Evans Wentz, the, the uh, um, who, who chronicled a, a lot of these stories uh, in the, the fairy folk in Celtic countries, uh, that you didn't want to call fairies directly by their name. So you referred to them euphemistically as the good people, um, you know, the, mm. the, the lordly ones, uh, the, you know, anything other than the little people or fairies. Yeah. And that was to not... Um, grab their attention, to not uh, invoke their wrath. In fact, supposedly they don't even like the term, the little people. 
Well, that's it. Well, as Ben once pointed out, when this was a big topic uh, for for one several weeks, a uh, couple of years ago, that it, the word fairy uh, it sort of creates it, it carries dis- a lot of baggage. It carries a lot it. of baggage, yeah. Because people think Disney movies and things, and it's like, well, hmm. yeah. I mean, for us at least, it, it, it sort of uh, creates and, disbelief, I suppose. And it didn't even originally uh, apply to fairies. It it uh, was a term that arose in, in medieval times. Uh, and was applied to women who had the powers to bewitch. Really? Uh, I didn't know that. And uh, gradually, because fairies have that uh, power to enchant and bewitch and cast glamour over things, and, and so the term uh, gradually became applied to them as well. Well, some but, of the, sta- uh, the good people and the good neighbors, those would be two very common terms. People always wanted to speak well of the fairies because they were known to be very tricky and, and unpredictable and sometimes very hostile people. And so you didn't want to do anything to upset them. Why would they be hostile? I mean, I, I, look, looking back at human history, <laughs> that's not, not a big mystery, but what, what, what say exactly. you? Exactly. Well, right. a, a, according to uh, their creation story, and, and you find this theme throughout mythologies around the world, they lost the, the place to us, that they were the original uh, or among the original inhabitants of, of the Earth. And uh, in, in Celtic lore, uh, they engaged in war when humans came and started taking over uh, various territories. They engaged in warfare with humans, but they were uh, overpowered by the weaponry that humans had, especially iron weapons. Uh, and we find this in universal fairy lore as well, that iron weakens them and Iron has that property against supernatural entities, too. And so, uh, according to lore, they retreated further and further into more remote areas until they literally went into the earth, which in modern terms could be uh, compared to going into another dimension, because once you go into fairyland, you are in another dimensional space where time is different, the environment is different, uh, all the rules shift. That's funny you should put it that way because uh, maybe this is related in a way. The uh, shaman I knew in Australia was describing his experience in going into other worlds when he did his sh- shamanic work. And he said to him it was he would feel himself going into a hole in the ground almost as if he were a gopher or something, and that would lead to these other worlds. That was the way he experienced it. He said different ones experienced it in different ways. So I, I, I kind of picked up on that when you mentioned going into the ground. The okay. underground passages uh, is a very common theme in, in um, accessing spirit worlds. And there's all this hmm. folklore that uh, if you have wells or underground springs on your property, these are natural conduits for the, uh, the spirits and residents of other worlds to, to access uh, your world. But, uh, yes, in Celtic lore, the fairies went into the earth, and they would have these door- the doorways that would be in mounds, uh, the fairy wrath, the fairy how would be uh, terms for them in Ireland and Scotland where the lore is especially strong. And also through tree roots, uh, which, uh, you know, we have, as you pointed out, uh, that connection to the shamanic access to, the, to uh, other worlds as well. Hmm. Well, that sort of leads into the next question. So what about the idea that these creatures could be uh, some kind of exiles from an alien race or the victims of from, sir, yeah, from some sort of cosmic or interdimensional warfare, as kind of a stretch as that is. Um, actually, it may not be much of a stretch. Um, I agree. 
back back in the the 1960s, um, there were comparisons that uh, were starting to be made between uh, descriptions of extraterrestrials and strange beings in other cultures. And the folklorist Thomas Bullard uh, got to be very prominent in ufology for some of his comments. I had a, a chance to meet him and interview him once on um, his feelings uh, about the connection between ETs and fairies. And even Jacques Vallée talked about it uh, quite a bit in his work as well, that beings that uh, we were calling extraterrestrials in our uh, early literature, post-World War II, um, other cultures would readily label fairies. And uh, there were so many connections between the appearances, the behavior, uh, the, the way these beings interacted with people that... Uh, we, we may just be talking semantics with labels. It's very difficult to draw the boundaries. And I ran into the same thing when I, I started researching the jinn and how uh, they might be shape-shifting into other forms to interact with us as other kinds of beings that, that uh, we are more familiar with. And when I compared the jinn to fairies, uh, they are so identical that it's very difficult to separate the two. And I came to the conclusion that uh, like fairies are a form of gin. Hmm. That's really interesting. So have you yourself run into any of these creatures? I have been, and uh, it goes back to childhood. I think that uh, these, these entities, whoever they are and wherever they come from, um, they have a natural interest in children, and, and a lot of children are uh, much more psychically open. Um, children talk about uh, little people coming into their bedrooms at night or playing with them. And, and I had these uh, invisible playmates, uh, and they, ha- they also had little dogs. And uh, I didn't know until much later in life when I researched fairy lore that um, fairies uh, were known to have pets and be very fond of dogs, little fairy dogs. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you have a lot of imagination, you, you just don't think a whole lot of, uh, you know, your playtime and, and, and uh, you know, things that happen. You think that everybody has the same sort of experiences. But I think in retrospect that I was having encounters with fairies. And uh, I also had some angel encounters, too. And as we get older, uh, a lot of these things sort of fall into the wayside. They uh, We forget about them and... Uh, our natural ability starts to close off as we socialize ourselves in the world. But for me, um, especially because psychic ability was in my family and my mother talked about it, her experiences quite a bit, it stayed in the forefront and it kept my curiosity going about uh, what are these experiences and why do some people have more of them than others. So those are my earliest experiences and then uh, for a variety of reasons, fairies just kind of fell into the wayside while I was exploring other aspects of the paranormal and getting into meditation and metaphysical things and, and uh, psychic ability training and whatnot as I got older. But um, they spontaneously began coming to the forefront again uh, when I moved to a house in Connecticut in the woods, and this was back in the early 90s. And uh, I started seeing these lights moving around in the woods, and there was an intelligence to them. And I could communicate with that intelligence, and uh, that put me back in touch with the whole uh, notion of the fairy kingdom again. And I went to Findhorn, 
in Scotland, which was famous for um, having contact with some sort of uh, spirits of the landscape, that revolutionized uh, the ability of the land to bear, you know, wonderful produce and a spiritual community came out of that. And I had some experiences there. And once my awareness was was reopened, um, then I had fairy experiences just every now and then, usually while I was out somewhere, sometimes while I was doing paranormal investigations, and sometimes when I was just out in the world of nature. I even had, um, uh, I don't want to call him a little person, but he was about uh, two and a half feet tall or so, uh, a being that I called a fairy that uh, lived in... Um, one of my homes in the Annapolis area in Maryland after I left Connecticut and spent part of his time in the garden and part of his time in our house. Hmm. Well, you you made an interesting point that you said, like, during people's childhoods, they usually forget about experiences they have like this or um, they're socialized out of them. Why do you think that our societies look down on these kinds of experiences? We tend to pass it off as, superstition and silly imagination, uh, we're so um, conditioned to uh, e- explain everything by scientific method, by, by what we can uh, apprehend through our five senses. Uh, we, we've kind of lost our, our magical connection with the universe. And that's unfortunate because it's around us all the time. And... Uh, uh, Sometimes it intrudes on people, and, and sometimes it's more part of their own natural landscape, I think, depending on how open we are to it. Um, but uh, we're conditioned from an early age in, in our society to um, not be silly. It's just in your head. It's your imagination. Those things don't exist. The media plays a large role in this. Uh, every time we have... Um, topics related to ghosts or haunting, spirit communication, ETs and whatnot, the media tends to ridicule it, to ridicule the people who have the experiences, the phenomena. Uh, they play things for laughs, and uh, that further conditions our attitude. Yeah, I've noticed that, too. I remember, um, oh, it must have been like, what, like almost a year ago now when they had the big uh, UFO conferences in New York. I was flipping through the news channels, and when they uh, they did a story on it, they just played the X-Files theme, like, ah, ha, ha, all these experts going to talk about all these UFOs and things, oh, that's all BS, blah, 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 and things like that. Well, it's like, but they didn't take it seriously, because the whole point of the conference was, I know what I saw. And nobody nobody cared, nobody cared, which is, it, it's sad. You're absolutely right, and that's the way that it always comes down with the media. Uh, and, well, except for uh, you this know, show. When, when George Meade <laughs> yeah, brought, exactly, except brought, for this show. Oh, I'm sorry? I say, except for this show, of course. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, we have a lot of serious shows uh, on the radio and even documentaries and whatnot on, on television where people are talking about experiences and these other realities from, uh, you know, a, a serious perspective. There is a growing audience for that, and it's... Uh, it's almost like you have to you have to go somewhere else to get your information uh, and and discussion areas about these topics because the mainstream media uh, still will not uh, give them much uh, much of their proper due. Well, I've often thought the disbelief 
at that degree is a um, means of self-defense against the terrible notion that we cannot control the world. Yeah, sort of like a scoffing in the face of fear or whatever when yeah. in fact you whistling actually whistling past are, the graveyard sort of. yes whistling past the graveyard except yeah. that sounds kind of uh, disrespectful but the point being is that well, well that's bad my, my next book is dancing past the graveyard that's even more disrespectful <laughs> it's okay well at least it's not dancing on graves that's well, right, right but that's a very good point uh, because uh, if we start accepting the reality of these things, then it really does turn our world upside down. It's an admission of many things we don't want to admit. And our ability to, to be on top of it, to control, because uh, religion certainly isn't going to do it for us. Science isn't going to do it for us. So uh, it probably opens up a vulnerability that most people would rather not. Oh, exactly, yeah. Well, we're going to uh, take a commercial break. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM, com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Sheridan. And this is Joe Callahan with Mike and Joe in the Morning. Hey, join us every weekday morning from 5 until 8. We'll have news and weather and sports with Lou Mandeville, as well as trivia. Plus other interesting features like our NASCAR feature, Garage Pass. It's Mike and Joe in the Morning, Monday through Fridays from 5 until 8. Right here on WOON, One Socket Radio. Owen Radio. And we wanted to talk a bit about Amazon Kindle Fire. Amazon Kindle and Amazon Kindle Fire, marvelous e-reading devices that seem to be growing and growing as far as uh, what people are uh, using to read their books, magazines, and newspapers with. Uh, thank you, Ben. <laughs> ben is uh, always concerned about my voice. Anyway, it's a marvelous device, uh, $199 at Staples or number of other places as well. Uh, the Kindle itself, which is uh, pretty much for reading uh, over one million publications, newspapers, uh, books, and uh, certainly uh, magazines, uh, $79 or even sometimes less. But uh, look around. and Amazon.com and the Staples, Amazon Kindle Fire is the top-of-the-line product there. It's all in color, games, apps, all kinds of movies, things of this kind, and, of course, the Kindle itself. And, of course, as we always uh, plug my four books that are on available on Kindle, uh, certainly uh, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and uh, Rhode Island, a genial history for our local audience, might be interested in that, used in several school districts in this little state. And also, uh, of course, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. And I always drag the poor guest in on this to help do the commercial. Uh, now, now, of course, uh, you have a lot of your books, I'm sure, are on, are on Amazon, uh, Rosemary. Uh, can you just tell us about that? I do, yes. And, in fact, uh, I have uh, quite, quite a number of them up on Kindle. Great. Uh, including some that I have published myself on Kindle, some brand new books, as well as some reissues. And I think this is a wonderful format, the ebook format. It just um, increases the ability of information to get out into um, as many hands as possible. Exactly. And we always say it saves you lots of gas. You don't have to drive to the bookstore. You don't have to. You know, uh, spend uh, lots of money on printed material, and it is is a somewhat cheaper, of course, for each each title. So, Amazon Kindle Fire, check it out, folks. Amazon.com and Staples. All right. So, so, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, with our fascinating guest Rosemary Allen Guiley, and we were just talking about the socialization of children and why they don't believe in magic anymore, and why the media does not help. So, this actually sort of leads right into our next question because you mentioned some. 
at some point people need to stop uh, questioning things and accept it. But uh, playing the devil's advocate here, we're we're always saying that uh, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be, and that you have to be very careful about what you trust. So, what should people do if they encounter one of these beings? Well, I think a lot of it depends on the kind of encounter that people have. Um, most of these things happen so fast that people are often not certain that it was real. Uh, they think they just imagined it. It can possibly be real. So we, we need to be open to the fact that uh, we are likely at various points and for various reasons to have encounters with uh, residents of other uh, dimensions that share the cosmic space with us. And uh, to pay attention to detail, uh, a lot of times it's just seeing something without any sort of communication happening. Um, and uh, to try and remember as many details as possible and to write it down before you forget. Uh, sometimes we are approached by entities, and there's a purpose behind it for communication. It's usually telepathic. Um, oftentimes we're in kind of a lightly altered state of consciousness. Uh, and... The thoughts seem to be impressed in our minds. And, and again, it's to be open to uh, having a real experience, that it's, it's not something that your imagination has run wild with you on. Okay. Uh, and sometimes the only way to validate these things is just what we feel in our own gut. Well, that's it. Uh, before we get, I'm sorry, did you have another question? Oh, no, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Rosemary, could you speak up a little bit? Uh, yes, how's that? Oh, it's much better, thank you. Okay. okay. Uh, certainly, I, I wanted to get into some individual stories here, p- things, things people have written in and things, uh, e- even one that, that happened to me, uh, although I was sort of at the, on the periphery of it. But I, I think you got into a point b- before, Rosemary, that I think is well taken, and that's that uh, we often suspect that, that how people interpret these experiences or what labels they put on the phenomena have a lot to do with the context of it. In other words, if you're sitting in your living room, you know, you're draped over your couch, uh, and, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal or something, and, and a wispy figure goes over your head and waves to you, it's a ghost. Okay. Uh, if you happen to be out in your backyard and you see this wispy figure next to a, a flying disc, aha, an alien. Uh, or if you happen to be in your garden and, you, and you're working and you see a, a, a little wispy thing, aha, a fairy, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, of course, the various descriptions, they're large, small, noble, ugly, whatever the, the, that we've discussed this evening, seem to indicate, you know, that are we, are, are we con- confusing various races here and applying the same names depending on the context? I think we are, that um, we, we put a label on something that makes sense to us based on our personal experience, what we know, what we've read, our cultural conditioning, maybe even our religious training, our place and time in history. Uh, one of the things that's been clear to me uh, for quite some time in my research is that human beings have had core experiences throughout history. We seem to have consistent patterns to our experiences with certain types of entities and certain circumstances, and yet our labels change over the course of time. And when you can find accounts throughout history, that uh, are similar or even sometimes almost identical, and yet people have explained them in different ways. It's, it's merely uh, a context rather than, uh, you know, something that's completely different. 
So I think we have to reorient our perspective on how we explain our, our supernatural encounters. Uh, I still don't know exactly what's behind everything, if there's one answer to everything or we're dealing with um, a certain beings that just shapeshift throughout history, we perceive them differently. It could be all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let me submit a few anecdotes here and, and see what you have to think of those. One I've mentioned on the show several times before over the years, and it was one of my own experiences. Now, I, I have never actually encountered what I would call one of the little people myself, even as a child. Uh, however, I was uh, in 1984 in Puerto Rico, and I did encounter a doctor and his uh, wife, who was a, a, a banker and a real estate person. I mean, these were not, you know, bumpkins here. And they had a couple of kids, and they they swore that whenever they that they would take a walk on Saturdays, every Saturday, they would leave beer and fruit on the counter in the kitchen, and fairies would do all their housework for them. So I said, okay. <laughs> so of course, what do I do? I, I come out, I set up all kinds of cameras and and, and equipment in their kitchen. And I went for a walk with them. Now, of course, actually, I was there in the context of my service in the U.S. Coast Guard, and I was the head of the photo department on the ship, and I, and I um, happened to use all the equipment from the ship. Today, it's all Bill O'Reilly would need, you know, using uh, government equipment to try and photograph ferries. But anyway, uh, I set it all up, and uh, we went for the walk, and we came back, and no- nothing had happened. And uh, I got the bl- It's a wonder I didn't have to clean the house. I got the blame for the ferries not showing up. And... Uh, <laughs> And this, you know, were these people not so serious? I would have have wondered. And, and I, I don't know. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Cleaning well, that. I wish I could find them. I, we could use the help. We're bound and determined not to be photographed, evidently. Apparently, but uh, there's a very strong thread throughout fairy lore of the, the helpful uh, fairies that that uh, if they liked you and you treated them nicely and left them food and other offerings, they would uh, clean your house for you. They would. Uh, organize your farm tools for you. They would help you, um, you know, cut the hay and and take care of the farm animals and and all sorts of things. And so you wanted to keep these entities happy. It's very strong in Celtic lore. Yeah. All right. Uh, Why now, don't they do that for I, us? I could use a few household fairies. Yeah, here, so could you know, we. Well, they must be in demand. <laughs> well, we live. You'll have to come visit us sometime. You're not that far away. We live on a very very strange hill uh, here, just right up at the edge of uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island here. And it, the, the hill, it's Fairmount Hill for you local folks, and it has a lot of interesting stories about it. And, uh, Ben, you yourself, not to put you on the spot, but mm-hmm. you've had some inter- interesting experiences there. Oh, not don't, fairies, even, don't even get me started on that. I mean, I've had so much weird stuff happen to me on that hill. I don't even, I, there, there's just stuff that I could just tell you that you wouldn't even believe. You just wouldn't even believe Maryland it. Talking to Rosemary I know. <laughs> I know. I, I probably I, would. <laughs> yeah. True, true. I, I just, I, I just have a healthy skepticism, and I was coming back from work one night, and I like I worked at right up the hill from there uh, at Saint Antoine's Nursing Home, and I used to like walk up the paths and go to work and walk back, and I would either call for a ride if it was like late at night, and it's just woodsy up there, you know. Yeah, it's woodsy, and it was like toward it was getting towards winter, so it would get dark like really quickly, and I would get out of work. It would be like eight 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 thirty. And I'd be walking down the hill to uh, like go go down to the woods, and I got onto the path, and I, it just rained, and it was so it was kind of slippery and muddy. And I looked over 
and I saw like this ape-like creature stand up, turn around, and stare me down. And I remember seeing it clearly. I can I can hear it. Like I can like not hear it. I can like see it like right now. Like I can still picture it like clearly in my head. And something in my head was just like run, just run. So I ran, slipping and sliding all the way down the hill. I didn't even fall once. I jumped over like water-soaked tree, like downed trees, and slipped all the way down a little like waterfall thing. And then I ran all the way home. Basically, and I, I remember like, you were a mess when you got home. Yeah, it was it was it was terrifying because I was I did not know what that was, and I I'm just like I tell I tell this to people that I see if I if I like know them like oh yeah I saw Bigfoot one time but I don't I, sometimes sometimes I I wonder if I really did see Bigfoot you never know. Well, well the, the the Bigfoot hunters were here in Rhode Island as small as it is it's, I don't know who knows. But in any case, uh, well, just the household, the help that the I guess the fairies that help around the household, perhaps have their opposites because we we have a, um, a letter from or an email from someone uh, that we read on the show I guess it was last year and they said that the, the she as a little girl had walked into her kitchen and the uh, there were little people all over the place you know ransacking the cabinets and they'd spilled the flour and this kind of thing and they all kind of looked at her at once. And you know, fled immediately. I mean, have you heard of messy fairies too? Actually, more about messy fairies than clean fairies. Ah, okay. And yes, that that uh, they've got like a playful, joking, trickster nature to them, uh, and that's very typical of the djinn too, where they like to create upset and disarray uh, more than uh, keeping things neat. Well, we'll have to have you on about the djinn. I have scoured the country for a Muslim cleric who will come on the show and talk about the djinn. Uh, nobody will do it. I don't know what it's a cultural problem or what, but uh, if because if, I, I like we like to get information from the people people uh, from the culture uh, in in which the the belief is is alive, and uh, I suppose you might you might be the next best thing to a Muslim cleric on that topic for us at some point. But well, uh, it is hard, uh, and it, it is some of it is a cultural and a, a religious thing that uh, this is something that's kept very close. Uh, within their culture, and um, I've, I've had similar problems myself finding um, the, the holy people here in this country too. Uh, and yeah, they, they'll write in. I, I, we had, uh, I don't know, I did an interview here. Uh, this goes back a few years, and, 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 a, and a, we did a talk in the local area here, and and uh, several Muslims wrote in. Oh, this is interesting. It's a lot just like the jinn, and you know we believe this and that. They were very open about it. It was it was good to hear from you know people from all different cultures about this. But uh, speaking of the jinn, uh, how how do would they relate to the to the Western concept of fairies? You well, said it's almost it's identical. Just, yeah, as I mentioned a little earlier, that there are so many similarities, it's very difficult to separate the two, and uh, they have similar. Uh, Stories, creation stories about uh, being the original inhabitants of the planet, uh, losing out to human beings, becoming um, some of them becoming very resentful in the process. Uh, the same supernatural powers, uh, the jinn getting pushed out into another dimension, into remote areas parallel to fairies. Um, they like the caves, tunnels, uh, lonely places, and whatnot. Um, they both have the ability to shape-shift into a variety of forms. Um, they like to have uh, their own pets, they, especially dogs. They're both weakened by iron. Um, iron, huh? Hmm. And the, the list goes on and on. And 
in, in the book that I did, The Vengeful Gin, which came out last year, um, I did a number of chapters where I compared gin to other kinds of entities because I, uh, my premise was that, well, the gin could be any of these things, uh, and, and we may not know where the dividing line is. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these other entities real, or are they gin becoming something in order to disguise themselves as the hidden ones, which is what their name means? Hmm. And uh, the the longest and most detailed chapter is on fairies because there are so many similarities. Okay. Actually, that um that reminds me of um uh, Native I forgot what Native American tribe I, I want to say it was uh, Algonquin. You talking about the Pugwudgies? No, 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 d- d- different thing. Okay. That the trickster for them was a uh, was a uh, spirit that took the form of a spider. And it would lead people into traps and things, but always at the last second, the spider would slip up and reveal itself. So I'd be like, "Ah, you!" I forgot the name of it, but it was on. But I um, went to a class that taught something about that, and it was it was really interesting. I mean, I suppose that that can sort of be the trickster spirit among certain Native American tribes. I don't know if it's all of them, but I know of a few of them that agree to that. But well, the, the puckwudgies are something different altogether. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, the Pukwudgies fall into that category of um, uh, not very nice uh, trickster kind of entity that, uh, like a lot of fairies, lurks about in remote areas to lead people astray, cause them harm, even lure them off uh, cliffs to their deaths and things like that. So a lot of similarities. Things. This is one of the things about the supernatural, uh, that there really aren't any clear boundaries and dividing lines. It's, it's not a pie chart of needle slices. Things just bleed into each other, and it's a shape-shifting landscape. It's often very difficult to know where does one thing stop and another start. Mm, well, I ran into a... this with vampires, too. That, yeah. Uh, you yeah know, that's very you, true. When you, when you read all the descriptions of vampires from different cultures, they, uh, they have different names. They're called different things, and yet they all have characteristics that we, we ascribe to the vampire. Now, we recognize them as the parasites we deal with in cases all the time. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's the, the same characteristics. I think, you know, again, as you say, we're dealing with different labels for the, this sloshing back and forth of all these worlds over each other. That seems to be how the, the universe or the multiverse is constructed. There's complete interaction, and then it's an open system. So, you know, how do we know what we're really dealing with? That's like the $64 million question. Yeah. And, of course, from a Middle Eastern perspective, well, it's one-stop shopping. The gin accounts for everything. Yeah. And in our culture, it's like, well, you know, we can't go there. You know, we, we've well, got things yeah. more subdivided and categorized, and that's kind of difficult for us to wrap our heads around. Well, for certain Unless religious groups, it's all demons. You know, exactly. That's, uh, we just don't find that there's it's, it's that simple. I mean, we work on cases for... Years we've worked on one in in uh, um, Connecticut now since '05, and and one here in Rhode Island since 1998, and we're still finding things. So it's and I um, have much the same. You know, I've, I have a number of long term cases uh, going on, and uh, yeah, they're just full of different phenomena that's constantly shape shifting and challenging your uh, your parameters about what you think it, something is, and. Uh, you know, there are entities out there that resist uh, expulsion, and what are they? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I came to the conclusion in, in 
for a lot of these long-term cases, but I was really dealing with gin. Yeah. Uh, that everything kept going back to, um, you know, I would track everything back to the original lore about the gin and how they behaved, and uh, things just started fitting in a very eerie sort of way. Mm-hmm. I uh, recently gave um, a major presentation at uh, the International UFO Congress uh, in uh, the Phoenix area in February, making a case for the abducting E.T. being gin, hmm. or at least, at the very least, the gin are major players in that phenomenon. Makes sense to me. And uh, their tracks are, are all over the abduction literature. If you go back to the early abduction literature, when these cases started coming forward, um, and you read the descriptions of people's experiences, the shadow people, the gin, they're everywhere. But nobody knew what to call them because the jinn have not been on our paranormal radar. They've just been off the landscape, and we don't even think about them. We don't even know the questions to ask about them. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to the Freetown State Forest in Massachusetts? I have not. You'll have to come visit us sometime. We'll take you there because we've had some interesting experiences, and I got some interesting photographs. Oh, lovely. Of uh, there's a lovely, lovely spot at the end of a lake, which goes from the, I guess the center of the state forest down to the Fall River Mass area. And uh, I I'll send them. They're on our uh, talking points page. If you probably won't find them, I'll think I'll send them to you. And they are what appear to be little figures in the bushes. You remember that, Ben? And, and, oh yeah, I yeah. They were that. just and send them to the Killjoy photo expert. He couldn't figure out what it was. No, he couldn't figure out. But flesh tones, in, other than mushrooms in nature, are, are rather rare, actually. And uh, when, when they're up in among the leaves, and you can see faces and clothing and all this, or what seems to be that. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but uh, I'll send them to you and see what you think. But in uh, in the meantime, uh, I wanted to mention there's another uh, little anecdote that someone wrote in. Uh, someone reported that uh, this is from the Midwest. One of our listeners uh, reported that her family cows were on very good terms with the local fairies. What is it with fairies and milk? That seems to keep cropping up in some of the stories we receive. Uh, it, it just may have to do with a very old connection uh, between farm animals and, and fairies because, uh, you know, in earlier times, you know, people depended on their farm animals for their livelihood. And if their animals became bewitched uh, through the fairies or, you know, in some cases people blame that on witches, uh, then they would not give milk, or the milk wouldn't turn into butter, or uh, something would would happen to them, and that would affect somebody's livelihood. Yeah. So uh, mm. it was it was another power that the little people would have over people. Hmm. Well, here's one. This is uh, about. It's a question about shadow people. It's from Lauren. Don't worry, Ben. I won't use the full name. Okay, good. Uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. So Lauren writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben, and Rosemary. I uh, love all of you, and I'm a real fan of all your work. Uh, I have a question for Rosemary. Uh, Do you think there could be a link between shadow people and little people? The reason I ask is that uh, Paul and Ben have talked about uh, little shadow shadow people in some of their cases. There's the connection. Well, I don't don't remember them being little. Well, well, in a couple of them. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, Uh, let Rosemary answer the question. Yes. Well, the, there are small shadow figures, yes. Uh, the, the dominant uh, phenomenon is the, you know, the six to seven foot humanoid, looks like a man in a, a coat, sometimes with a hat, 
But then there's a subset of shadow people that are three to five feet tall, and they're often hooded. Um, I've often referred to them as the uh, little black hooded things with the red eyes because they often have red eyes. Um, the connection to me comes through the jinn, uh, and that's the way you would make the connection. There's no, um, there's no real good connection between shadow people and little people, per se, except they rattle around in the closets and come out <laughs> from under beds and, and visit people in their bedrooms, like a lot of fairies do. But um, having studied shadow people for so many years, since about late 2004, um, and wondering what they were, and coming to the conclusion first that they were ultra-terrestrials, that is, entities of unknown origin, and then making the, the jinn connection, uh, the shadow person um, appearance ideally suits the jinn in terms of uh, terrifying people and while well, remaining hidden. And uh, so you would have the connection there, that if the jinn are behind a lot of these entity manifestations, they could be manifesting as, as the fairies and also as shadow people. Hmm. And the shadow people uh, experience, uh, by the way, also happens in many ET abduction cases. They are often preceded by shadow people encounters. Interesting. Well, the reason, too, that that kind of struck me as sort of little shadow people is that we, we've run into those in the context of what we refer to as parasite cases or demonic cases, negative, whatever you want to, again, labels. And uh, particularly one in here in Rhode Island, that the one we've been working on since 1998, the woman would turn around and see these little shadow figures, you know, darting around the kitchen. And then usually that night, you know, maybe something something strange would happen. The, the larger figure w- would appear, and the uh, uh, parasitical entity would go marching down the hallway, and everything, all this sort of thing. And in several cases, uh, that uh, actually been in your six years now working with me, we have not run into that, but I, I've run into that previously. But, but in uh, um, shadow people, well, well the, the little shadow people. Oh, little shadow yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, no, I've never run into that. That's why I was like, well, "What's this woman talking about?" But I've been doing about? this for forty-two years, and it's still the first day of school. Yeah, true, true, exactly. So, uh, but anyway, we have. Um, I, I want to give you a chance here to uh, again talk about your websites and um, your books. Not all fifty of them, maybe, but <laughs> but Rosemary, it's uh, go ahead and let let folks know where they can find out more about you. VisionaryLiving.com is my main website. I have a complimentary monthly e-newsletter that goes out. You can subscribe to it on my homepage there. Um, and I also have my calendar and blog there. JinUniverse.com, spelled with the D-J-I-N-N, uh, is an introduction to the Jin and uh, how they are participants in our paranormal experiences. Um, I recommend that uh, people do... Uh, check it out if they're curious. I have uh, a page on the website called Tell Your Gin Story, and uh, I've selected accounts from all over the world where people have had uh, encounters that they realized later were gin or they identified immediately as gin. And uh, some of them are really quite, um, quite hair-raising hmm. uh, and very educational. Uh, my book, The Vengeful Gin, uh, which I co-authored with Phil and Brogno, um, came out last year and is, is really one of the first books to address a, a Western audience on the gin and how they uh, are interacting with us in terms of our own experiences. So they're not just things out of, you know, fantasy land, folklore, and the Arabian Nights. They're part of the paranormal landscape. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're definitely going to have you back to do a show on gin. I think that it's, it's something we ought to be aware of. 
Uh, certainly. Well, Rosemary, it's it's always a wonderful pleasure to have you with us, and thank you so much for your, for your your deep insights. That's what we like on this show, and uh, do plan to come out this way sometime. Uh, we have a real. It's a real treat for us whenever we have anyone in the studio with us because it's always by phone. And uh, yeah, we'll take you out there and um, show you the Weird Hill and the uh, Freetown State Forest and all the paranormal wonders of southeastern New England. <laughs> uh, well, yes. I'd love to do that, and I will take you up on it. Uh, sometimes this summer sounds ideal. I always like to get out in the field. Sure. Well, let us know. We'll be in touch off the air then. Okay. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, everyone. All right, take care. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Okay. So we point you toward our BehindTheParanormal.com website. There's all sorts of information about our former guests, upcoming guests, uh, from our two shows uh, here on W1240 and on our CBS edition on Sunday evenings. And you can also buy my books, subscribe to our newsletter. We also have a newsletter that comes out monthly now. It's been expanded, and it is now available, the April edition. And you can subscribe, or you can just go to the site and get it. You can also apply to become a reporter at the site. We have a number of show reporters all over the place, and they uh, now and then will call in with information that is of interest to our listeners. All right, so don't forget about our um, our the uh, class that we're teaching. Oh yeah, that's right. That's, don't yeah, forget that about that. Uh, April uh, Saturday, as a matter of fact, uh, at the Province Learning Connection. You can check it out southcoastlearning.org. And it's uh, Exploring the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and in a way you have probably never experienced it before. So we're hoping that we have a better turnout than we did last. Uh, yeah, it lot, comes and goes. It comes and goes, yeah. So we'll just take it as it comes. Yeah. So don't forget, we have nearly 400 free podcasts of our shows available at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And uh, we want to thank our producer, uh, Mr. Ben himself, who's been uh, filling in here at the station as a as a. Uh, I'm probably going to be here for a very long time, by the way. Oh, I get to the city council meeting tonight. No, I, I mean I'm going to be the producer for the show for a very long time. Oh, good. Well, very good. You're doing a fine job. Thank you. And we will see you next Monday, April 16th, here on WON 12:40 a.m. and ONWorldwide.com. When Ben and I will welcome back prolific author and paranormal expert Jeff Belanger of GhostVillage.com. And again, this will be a rare treat for us because Jeff lives quite nearby and will be with us here in the station Ooh. instead of on some phone connection. So our subject, of course, ghosts and legend tripping. Oh, well, that's for some of that in, in uh, station guest for a long time. So on our regular CBS Edition on uh, Sunday, April 15th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle. We'll be talking with parapsychologist Dr. Andrew Nichols on the subject of Ouija boards and seances. That will definitely be an interesting show. That'll be show. a barn burner, yep. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. We'll leave you this evening with a quote from some unknown but wise soul. When life gives you a hundred reasons to cry... Show life that you have a thousand reasons to smile. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.